Three, two, one. Welcome to the David the Dog Trainer podcast, episode 90. Today we're being joined by Joey Weeble of Hoosier Canine. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. We'll find out in a minute. Let's get him on. That's Hoosier. Is it? Yeah. I keep thinking like the band, you know? What's going on? There he is. Wait, we'll get the video here in a second. Oh, hit the record too. Recording in progress. What's happening? All right. Is that not much? Wait, how are you guys? Is that of the dog side hat that you have on right now? Yes, sir. Nice. I haven't seen Gary. that in a hot minute. Yeah, you know Gary. I, I mean, not personally, but yeah, I'm a, I'm a fan of his work. I mean, back when nice. he was doing stuff, I don't, I don't really know what he's currently up to aside from traveling all over the world. Right. Yeah, he kind of stopped posting. Yeah, yeah, he was like in and out for a while. There was like, what was it like? Maybe like two years ago, three years ago, something like that. When he was real hot on him, he was posting every day of his like socials and stuff that he was doing at his yeah. house. He was talking about Brandon Fouché every other day. Got everybody all turned oh. on to him and stuff. Heck yeah, I I love listening to that guy. He was a wealth of knowledge. Yeah, I agree. You know what's interesting? It's funny we were uh, just emailing back and forth talking about like Tyler Mudo and stuff like that. So Tyler and I like we go back a little ways and. Maybe like four, it is, God, it was longer than three years ago. It was maybe four or five years ago when Gary was real hot and he was getting everybody turned on to Brandon Fouché. And Tyler and I both like got connected with Brandon Fouché and like did some like phone consults with him and stuff like that. And it was just like, I, you know, obviously there's a lot of stuff we can get into as far as like agreeing and disagreeing and this and that with, you know, the stuff that they're doing because it is so like foreign to most of the dog training world, I feel like. Right. But there's so much knowledge to be pulled from it when it comes to the socialization side of things. Like they were really doing socialization, I think, on another level that a lot of people were not. And it really opened us up to, I know personally, how we structure our socials and stuff we do at our facility. And one of the main reasons we're able to get some of the breakthroughs with the dogs socially that we're able to, I, I really accredit to a lot of the stuff I learned from them. So that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, really. That's a good way to start a podcast. Hell yeah, man. <laughs> yeah, I'm uh, glad we got new all right, Joe. Well, listen, uh, you know, <laughs> I was just telling Josh, like, this is kind of, uh, let me just give you a little more volume there. There we go. Um, you know, it's kind of a random one cause we kind of just stumbled upon each other on TikTok and stuff, but I'm excited for this conversation. I'm excited to, uh, just kind of see where it goes. Obviously, uh, we were just kind of scrolling through your TikTok page a minute ago and, you know, a lot uh -huh. of the things you're saying, obviously I think, you know, it seems like we're pretty, uh, pretty aligned on, I mean, you had a lot of good points and stuff like that. So why don't you go ahead and just kind of give both us as well as everybody else a little bit of, uh, kind of an introduction. All right. Uh, I am Joey Weibel. I own Future K9 Dog Training. Basically, my whole introduction to this was with a trainer. Well, I guess we won't name states or names or anything like that. But I started as a kennel tech, worked my way up, started working with his dogs more. And then he introduced me to Heather Beck. Oh, yeah. And yeah. do you know who Heather yeah, Beck know. is? Yep. Okay. So Heather Beck has been like a really huge mentor of mine. Nice. And I've done daycare seminars. Um, her 3d dealing with dangerous dogs yep and and even listening to her at like conference mm -hmm. so iacp i don't know if you've ever looked at that or know anything about it yeah yeah but tyler was the president of it for a while we talked a little bit about it yesterday on the podcast or the couple of days ago on the podcast yeah i'm pretty oh, okay. yeah there you go yeah so basically a lot of my background comes from that type of I wouldn't call it a compulsion, but a balanced side of training. 
an easier side of training. My initial uh, mentor was pretty tough on the dogs. <laughs> sure. I mean, I saw some shit and I was like, for a doodle, that's a little, obs- yeah. like, that's a lot. But it is what it is, and everyone's got their own style that fits that. Now, I've kind of, I've gone from trainer to trainer to trainer, staying with them, staying weekends, days, just learning all different kinds of ways. And and for me, it just, I fell in love with the change. Like, dog training is always learning, always evolving. And yeah. that's really kind of, I went from kennel tech just to help, and then I was like, oh shit, I can, like, there's, you can get better at this. It's not just like, you know, it's not like a line and this is how you do it. And it just is that way. Yeah. But yeah, I I think that's awesome. So where are you located out of? Bloomington, Indiana. Oh, and oh, you're not even that far. Oh man. Cool. That's my old stomping grounds. Yeah. What Bloomington is? Really? Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. I'm from, uh, do you know where Orleans is? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. That, that's my that's my hometown. Twenty. <laughs> nice. It's, yeah, it's like an hour south of you. And you guys are located where? Yeah. So uh, we're in Cleveland, Ohio. So uh, Miracle Canine. So uh, I started Miracle Canine January of twenty nineteen. I had another dog training facility before that for about four years. And same deal. I started off like you, where I worked somewhere local. Um, I, I just got my first dog, didn't know anything about him. It's like, let's look for trainers. I liked it. I got involved. I started just hanging out there every day after I got off work. And he's like, hey, you want to work here? It's like, yeah. And then you just kind of work right. your way up kind of thing. So, yeah. yeah. Awesome. Hell yeah. Okay, hey, cool. Cleveland, I, I was born in Cincinnati. So I'm actually thinking about going back to Cincinnati or yeah. not Cincinnati, but going back to like Columbus area to start something else just because in my town bloomington is um not super business friendly like they don't really put you first here and i had i had a facility and i had to shut it down because i had homeless people that were like breaking in i had gun like bullet shells in my driveway and it was ridiculous it wasn't even a bad part of town yeah yeah Uh it just was the pain. So um, back in 2016, I had a facility down in Columbus for a little bit with my last company. And Columbus is a strange place for dog training. I don't know if you've been there a whole lot lately or not. So obviously, Mm -hmm. because OSU is there, OSU has one of the like top veterinarian behaviorists like in the country. uh, That's like stationed out of there, whatever you call it. Right. Right. Um, So it's very, very, very Cent- like the training community is very centered around that, right? It's a very strong force-free community, which again is is fine, but it's like, you know, same deal. When I was down there, we had some dogs come through that were like, like went through that veterinarian behaviors and stuff like that. And it's just, it's insane how much it costs and how little is actually done. I feel like, in that like, oh. it's like, it's like $900 for like a consultation where they don't even touch the dog. And then it's like, right. here's 17 medications. And it's, I don't know. It was, it was a little, it was a little sad, you know, cause like, again, like the, all the trainers are kind of like, they work with that veterinarian behaviorist and it was a, it was a strange community to get into with that. So, yeah. so to say yeah. that you, you could have a good, a good business down there. Cause I think they're lacking in, in good dog trainers right now. Right. So I, I would agree with that. Cause that, that side of, I mean, even, even on TikTok where we found each other, the yeah. platform ridiculously overloaded with like trainers who just want to, say go to this behaviorist and even i saw a trainer that charged two hundred dollars a day for her board and train which mm-hmm. whatever that's not that much sure. but then 
said in her board and train that they just live in her house with her dogs and she does no training except living with her and then yeah. sends a dog. It's one and of I'm those, like, like holistic things. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it's just like, I don't, that you're just taking people 200 days, $200 <laughs> to board their dog. It's like, it's crazy. Basically what that but, is. Yeah. Very interesting. So, yeah, I mean, that's one of the things that I was interested to talk about. So, obviously, you've amassed, like, a really big following on TikTok, which is awesome. I mean, you have, like, a quarter million followers at this point. Um, I'm curious to hear, one, like, I'm always interested in just the progression of that kind of stuff, like, how you kind of got that kickstart. Was it, like, a lot of people talk about where it's, like, you had a couple videos that just, like, really went viral, et cetera, et cetera? And additionally, yeah, I mean, TikTok is a strange platform, man. I mean, it, it... it's unlike any other one. I mean, that's that's our newest platform we've been on. You know, we've been on, you know, Instagram, YouTube, stuff like that. We put a lot of content out on those. And, like, the, it, the, the amount of, like, just negativity that comes with TikTok versus anywhere else seems like it's, like, a whole nother level, you know? And we had uh, this girl, her name is Taylor. She has a company called Proper Paws. We had her on a couple times. She's got, like, a massive Instagram following. And I was asking her the last time she was on, I was like, yeah, are you venturing off into other platforms? Even her, she's like, you know, I may, I told myself that I'm, I just will not do TikTok. She's like, I just can't do it. Like, like my, I don't have the emotional capacity to deal with how much negativity comes with that platform. And yeah. with your following, I'm curious, like, how that impacts you, you know, like what you've seen through all that. Yeah, so... Basically, how it all started. I mean, I I'm an avid Gary V listener watcher. Hell yeah! And I don't know. Two years ago, he was screaming at the top of your his lungs, like, "If you have a business, start a TikTok. Yeah. Start a freaking TikTok. Who cares? No one's gonna see it. No one you know is gonna see it. Nobody's gonna judge you. Just start it." Yeah. And if you go down on my page, the videos are god awful. Like they're. <laughs> I mean, it. My, their videos, my videos still aren't great, but they've slowly gotten better. But it was really bad to start. And for me, it was. You got to pick a day. You got to be consistent. You got to be consistent on, really, the time you post, the amount of times you post, and it's got to be daily. Yeah. Like, like really, for me. TikTok, it was kind of that thing where I was just like, okay, I'm going to make sure I post every Tuesday, Thursday, whatever. And then like at 5 p.m. and just do that. And eventually, like you start kind of getting into the algorithm almost. Yeah. So it'll give your video a little bit more chance each time. And the more consistent you are, the more like, the more likely you're going to have a big video. Like I see my, especially with the way my videos went, it went from like, well, my first video that did like 20,000 views wasn't even about dogs. It was so that was whatever. <laughs> it went from like 20,000 views up and it kind of like doubled each time. But in between, you had like a lull. Yeah. So you'd have like that, like, because I feel like the algorithm's testing you and is like, is this guy actually going to put out stuff? Sure. Because, because they, I mean, I got to a place where a lot of dog trainers were like, what why could i posted a video about growing potatoes in a bucket and it had four <laughs> views okay yeah. like and once you're in the tiktok alg- algorithm like as long as you stay in there and you yeah. keep consistent you're fine but i had to stop because i was dealing with so much stuff in my facility yeah and all that stuff so i just i just kind of tampered off and it's really it's been hard to get the views back up and It's just one of those things that consistency and whenever you have one video that catches, 
you need to like it's all about getting and working with the sounds like the sounds you got to like you're never really gonna blow up or get a lot of attention if you're not using their sounds yeah and being like their stupid little stuff you know like sure whether whether it's like and it doesn't have to be something stupid it can be good information just in tiktok way you know short or quick done because the talking and i've gotten to a bad habit of it lately and i'll just make a video talking and i look back and i'm like is that entertaining is anyone gonna watch that no (laughs) nobody cares yeah so like you have to get very lucky or have a very good following or have like amazing information if you're gonna stand there and talk yeah so like that's something that I've been doing is a lot of talking and it's like, you've got to get back on how the app wants you to post. Crazy. It's, it's ridiculous. Like, it's like we get into this cause we want to train dogs. Right. And it's like, we have to learn all of these hacks for this kind of stuff. The other thing I know Gary talks a lot about, and this is something we're guilty of, right? So like we have like a media team, right? So Josh does all our podcast stuff with us. Um, I have okay. a girl that films for YouTube exclusively. Like we do a vlog series every other day where she films the whole day makes like a 45 um, minute video out of it. And then we have a girl that pulls reels from them. Right. And all of our stuff is like post-produced, like in like whatever, you know, Adobe and this and that. And then it gets cross-posted to all of the different platforms. Right. And I know Gary talks a lot about, you know, because he does that, obviously. Um, you know, unfortunately, these some of these platforms are not going to push that type of content as hard because you're not utilizing their service to create that piece of content, you know? And it's like the give and take of like, we want to be broad and be across all the platforms, but it's not going to get that same level of traction. You know what I mean? And the old school trainers, like, I I honestly, it infuriates me so much. They see, like, someone with a bigger following, and they're like, oh, look at these stupid little videos he makes. And it's, <laughs> dude. You I'm have to, yeah. <laughs> right. Oh, well, yeah, you have to. And, like, dude, I'm literally sitting in my living room charging for a virtual lesson to people in Germany. Yeah, like, 100%. From these stupid videos. And you <laughs> have like, hope that paying advertisement and stuff works for you when like it's just it's crazy i know it's like goofy and tiktok get a lot of grief because they're like your content's like cheesy and it's like i understand that but you i mean you you got to play their game yeah no that totally makes sense and it's also funny what you've talked about about the lols right so um you know, we haven't had any sort of crazy, crazy videos blow up. I mean, we've had a few that have had like 60, 70, 80,000 views, things like that, which is, you know, obviously good. Right. Uh, and we're, like I said, we're pretty fresh on the platform, but it is funny how it'll be like that. Then we'll have like a month of just like every video getting like a hundred views, you know? And then it's funny. Like I was even talking to, to Ella, our, our real editor the other day. I was like, man, I was like, TikTok's been kind of slow lately. And it was like, as soon as I said that, we had one the other day do like 20,000 views. And it's like, it just comes out of nowhere. And it's always the ones like you least expect. It's like this random video of me talking about nothing. You know what I mean? Like literally in my mind, I was like, that's kind of a pointless post, but like whatever, we'll post it. And it's like, it, it does way better than anything else. Those are, cause like, that's the basic shit. Yeah. Pardon my, can we cuss on here? Oh, no, absolutely. Yeah. Of course. Okay. <laughs> um, like that's the shit that really like, you, I mean, it's part of it. You gotta just, yeah, yeah. You know, but 
Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. So you mentioned time, obviously. I've heard so the the girl I was telling you about proper pause, she recently had this massive explosion on Instagram of like she went from like five thousand followers to like a hundred and ten thousand followers in like two months. You know what I mean? Like it was on Instagram. Yeah, it was ridiculous, right? Um, and we were talking to her, we had her on, we were kind of discussing it. And one of the big things she said also was like time of day. She started looking at the analytics and figuring out time of day that her users were most active and stuff on it. Um, what, when you were looking into that kind of stuff, you know, obviously the amount and posting daily, like that's kind of common sense, right? We know that works like on these types of platforms. What were you noticing as far as time? So usually evening. Yeah. But I'd say four to six, but to be honest, I mean, I just posted a video. I woke up, posted a video at like Mm 6am two days, like close to 50,000 views and I haven't had a video like that in forever. So it, I really don't think it's, it's as much as like a specific time as it is. Like you just have to make sure that is digestible by your viewers. Like, cause the video was real short. It had a funny punchline and then it backed and it was boom, 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 done. And so it's kind of like that thing where they want to just get that short, short circuit happiness, like that dopamine rush, you know? So like if your videos, if you watch your videos and I do it all the time, because when I look at my videos and I posted it and I was like, no wonder it didn't do well, you know? (laughs) Sure. That's you just, and I mean, it's almost that shock value too. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You got to put, and I think some of your videos do, Oh, I, a couple of your videos have gotten some controversy. Of course, man. It, yeah. It, you know, it's it's really interesting because, you know, I, I I was talking about this the other day with with somebody. It's like, I don't think we're doing anything extraordinary from a training standpoint. Like, training is training at this point. You know what I mean? Like, obviously, once you understand how to teach a dog something, you understand there's a couple different ways to teach a dog something. Really, the important part at that point is then figuring out how to apply certain things to your customer, right, to your client at that point. Because in the end of the day, we could train dogs in any way that we want to do, but if it's not replicatable to the client and if it's not solving that thing that they're coming to you for, like, What's the point? You know what I mean? And unfortunately, fortunately, whatever, you know, in a perfect world, we would love to, like my background is in sport dog training. Like when I first started getting involved in it, like I did Mondio ring with my dogs. It was all really high level, high intensity, teaching complex behaviors, tons of motivation, things like that. Like I love training that way, right? Um, Unfortunately, your average dog owner doesn't want to do a lot of those types of things. So as a trainer, we have to find this balance between like, Yes, we, we need to make the training fun, right? We want to make the training something that's going to be enjoyable for the dog and for the owner to do, but we also need to make sure it's not going to require a ridiculous amount of time or a ridiculous amount of effort from the owner in order to do it or else they're just not, they're not going to be successful. You know what I mean? Exactly. So, so it's yeah. funny, you know, obviously we got connected through that nail trim video that we posted, right? And we've posted so many nail trim videos like that before. Like we got a couple other ones recently and it, it's so interesting how the nail trim stuff in general is the one thing that I find that like, if we're going to get like hate on one of our videos, those are the things that are going to get it. You know, it's not going to be this dog is reacting and they got a big correction for it or this or that. It's something like that, right? 
And and it's interesting because, you know, it's funny when you made your original post about it and then you did your live and you were kind of talking about, I think you had like a Rottweiler coming to town or something like that that you said was like a yeah. real pain in the ass for the nails as well. You know, I think everybody has had that dog either go to the vet before, go to the groomer before, go to the training kennel before. In their first session, they're just, it's it's not, like, it's a mess, for better choice of words. You know what I mean? Like, it is very messy as far as how they are working through that thing because there are certain things we just have to get done, right? Like, if a dog needs to get their ears clean because they have an infection, right? Or your dog needs to get their nails trimmed because they're overgrown and they're scratching themselves and creating wounds or, or any number of those types of things, Right. Sometimes we just have to go in and do it. Like you said, that dog came in and you just had to get it done the first time. And later on after that, you could then spend the time teaching it in the way that right. you want to teach it. You could spend your time counter conditioning things, right? Building positive associations and stuff like that. I think the biggest difference is, or not even difference, the biggest thing I try to show when I post things like that is if we're going to have to go in and just get something done, there are ways to take that imperfect situation and do it in the best possible way, right? Or do it in a way that the dog is actually going to learn something from as opposed to, right, what a lot of, like, like one of the things that makes, I think, handling-related issues, like, so bad with dogs is they go to the vet, they have to just get it done, and what happens is they have three people come in, everybody's restraining the dog and holding the dog. They're not understanding that when we're using physical restraint, we're utilizing negative reinforcement, right? It's a pressure and release system as far as teaching the dog to give way to that. And because they're not understanding it, it's just a battle the entire time. As opposed to if you understand the concepts of negative reinforcement, in the example of that Malinois that was freaking out when I held its paw, if I could implement pressure and release there, I could get past that tantrum in significantly less time, and the dog will actually learn something from it, right? Whether it's they're learning learned helplessness and they can't avoid, right, me holding their paw, which is true, right? It is to some extent an example of learned helplessness, but it's learned helplessness from the perceived notion of the paw holding is like this crazy, aversive, scary thing to them. They're perceiving that, right? That they can't right. avoid that, right? But then again, with the after videos and stuff we were showing, because we got past that hurdle, we're then able to more successfully counter condition that behavior. So whatever, you know, it's, that's just kind of a word vomit on that situation, obviously. But I, I like showing those types of things. I understand they're controversial and stuff like that. But it's like, I think it's important for people to see those types of things because so many people outside of the loud majority of the TikTokers that want to like explode on it, so many people struggle with that issue. And once they implement something like that with a dog that's far less serious than that dog that I was working with or that dog that you had in, they could see how much easier it is to get past some of these types of things, you know? Right. Yeah. I, I mean, there's, there's a whole, uh, there's a lot of good talk in there. Um, like, cause I've been training horses sure. lately. So I've been picking that up just to see how that goes in terms of the dog training. Sure. And there's a lot of similarities. Yeah. A lot of now, pressure and release concepts. I know. Oh yeah. Lots of it. <clears throat> but I will say that a lot of the hardcore pressure release run them till they knock it off type of stuff is kind of down. And for me, like the trainer I'm working with, she, her face lit up when she told me she used like treats to get her horse to load in a trailer. She was like, I can't believe it worked. Hell I yeah. was like, wait, you, you can't believe an animal would follow. <laughs> like, yeah. Is that a concept? Of course. Yeah. And 
like the whole point of dogs and animals becoming domesticated is like they have it easier with us. We provide everything for them. There's no reason for them to want to go away. Yeah. And so like for horses, they're so big, they could just kill you by (laughs) moving wrong. So there's harsher techniques, but that's because your safety is in peril. Of course. And I understand that. Like, you can't have that. But as far as a dog, I know there are some big-ass dogs. But really, for me, like that Rottweiler, exactly like he said, he'd go to the vet, seven guys, yeah. people try to hold him down. He'd shit himself. There'd pee, be flying everywhere. Just, yeah. oh, good. So he never learned that was good. Now, it did take probably, I think I had him for maybe six weeks but probably for the first three weeks he did not offer me his paw at all yeah but we got to the point where we are feeding his meals through paws we are feeding all of his treats through paws like i didn't focus on anything except touching his paw and playing with him after and that's it and for me if you have the time like there's always those times where you're like we like we have to get this done now yeah. like there's no and and that's that's kind of where the force free people fail cuz they they act like vets aren't compulsionary trainers yeah. like they have 100%. to like no dogs want to deal with that yeah. so it's one of those things that it is a part of it is part of life but for me if i'm being trained yeah. or paid to train that dog i want to make it in the least adversive way possible because of like you're saying it has to translate to the owners yeah which a lot of owners even if the dog's bluffing they're not going to hold their paw while the dog's like like you know or like mouthing sure. them they're going to be like oh no like yeah. now he bit you know type of thing and it's like he bluffed you but he's going to start biting soon if you keep doing that yeah. so for me it's i've gotten a lot i focus a lot more on getting the dog to want to before i even do any pressure and release with that type of stuff now because i used to do a lot of pressure release i do it with leashes i mean to teach leash pressure and release but i use food with everything the first week or two is food with everything and for me i don't use obedience as a tool really i use it as a playing tool but not really like sit you must sit here and watch this dog walk by like i'll call him to me ask him for a sit yes and that gets us into play or whatever it is yeah so it it's definitely it's an interesting kind of back and forth because there is people who think it's all sunshine and butterflies and that dog is never gonna have to do anything he doesn't like and i don't want to my dog you're just living in fantasy world and even this roddy i mean he did not want me to touch his paws but it starts by put like he's worried about my hand going to his paws so people are let's focus on the paw but i'm like as soon as i reach for that paw that dog goes like that yeah and dog's showing me signs he doesn't want it then i'm going to start there for counter conditioning yeah and as cool with my hand going to his paw then i'm going to counter condition picking up and we can do that and for me i i I haven't seen many dogs that don't do well with it because i do have dogs my cattle dog i did pressure and release um 
nail trimming with him, he will let me, but dude's not happy. He just sure. sits there and like, yeah. you know, man. now my counter conditioning dogs, they'll just sit there with their paws up like, uh, and they don't really care. And it's not anything. It's not like an ordeal to them. Yeah. You know, it's more trick. It's like, let me get, let me trim your nails. So you get this. And for me, like, since I've kind of turned that a lot of my pressure and release into like tricks. Yeah. Now I do like for recall, that's, that's 100%. That's if you blow that off, that's going to be a correction. Sure. 100% safety. But as far as like sitting and downing and that type of stuff, I try to keep it a little bit more relaxed. Yeah. And, and to your point about like not using obedience as this like tool to solve problems. Like I, I couldn't agree with you more on that. Like we were talking about just the other day, um, on the podcast, you know, I, I think a lot, a lot of a trap that I see trainers fall too much into is like a dog will come in with reactivity issues. They'll come in with aggression issues. They'll come in with, uh, whatever, any number of problems that you're seeing. And, um, you know, people will take this super roundabout approach to solving it of like, oh, okay, well we need to teach all of these individual commands first before we can address that. Oh. And then, you know, we're going to use it as an incompatible behavior and we're going to do this and we're going to do that as opposed to just understanding the root of why the dog is rehearsing the behavior and going in and coming up with a solution for that specific thing. You know what I mean? So yeah, no, I'm, I'm totally with you on that. And, and I agree with everything that you just said, you know, like obviously whether it's a nail trim, whether it's dog reactivity, any number of these types of things, the goal should always be, obviously let's use as little pressure as we can, but as much as we need to, obviously, and lean on the side of, yeah, if we can get the dog to want to do these things and like doing these things, obviously in a perfect world, that would be, that would be awesome. Right. And I would say like a very large majority of dogs, that's going to work phenomenally with, you know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. you could avoid so much conflict. Like you use the example of the horse getting into the trailer. It's like, let's just see if we can get the dog to want to do this before we jump right into doing that. You know, the biggest thing I always reiterate to everybody. And again, I, I take responsibility for it. Like I, like you said, like I have some controversial stuff out there. Like I like putting some of that stuff out there because one, you know, yeah, like whatever the stirring, the pot, whatever you want to call it. Like, I think it's somewhat funny to some extent when like all that shit happens over things. Right. But additionally, again, there are people out there that have these dogs where it's like that client that came in. So they came up from Kentucky to spend a week with me. They had done extensive extensive training with that dog that dog has been through two board and train programs she is a freaking amazing owner i mean she's done so much work with that dog she's done a lot of sport work a lot of positive reinforcement counter conditioning this that like she's done all of those things for a very long time with this dog right and she's seen tons of progress with the dog with the issues but the dog was still biting her in the house over things the dog would get in the crate and basically try to come out and try to attack her she couldn't she literally was not able to trim the dog's nails period at all et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it's just like, with some of those clients, it's like, let's just get this under control. You know what I mean? Like, and the cool thing is literally, I've, that was months ago at this point. That was probably maybe five months ago or something like that, that she came into town. She literally trims that dog's nails every other week now. And there's like no fight with it. And it's like, I understand, you know, I'm sure there, there's a million and one ways to solve something. You know what I mean? Again, I want to make sure that the client is going to be successful, right? And there are some people that you can't put them in that situation. Like you were saying, like they're just not, they're either just not going to do it or they're going to get scared off whether the dog has a muzzle on or not. This yeah. owner was competent enough to understand the process, understand what she needed to do. And literally within 24 hours, the dog was taking food and passed it 
because we worked through like that single tantrum in that video was the only tantrum that dog gave us the entire time. You know what I mean? Once we worked past that one, the dog was just like, okay, it didn't work. <laughs> right. Like, right. I guess uh, we're, I guess this is going to be fine now. <laughs> you know, yeah. like you like helicoptered the dog or some crazy stuff. Like yeah. it would just hold on to the paw. Like that's the it. dog is like, that's it. It's uh, not. Girl. Understanding breeds is really important too. Like I have a Malinois myself. Like I'm sure you've worked with them before. Like, they can, they could be real wild sometimes, like real wild looking, real noisy, real, like they move so fast, they get so thrashy, their whole body is like constantly in this state of tension. And it's like understanding that too, like most dogs that you do that with, they're going to like squirm for a minute, but they're not going to like ear piercingly scream in your ear like you're like stabbing them in the side like that. <laughs> right. Yeah. Herding breeds are so. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like. <laughs> sensitive they're just all over the place 100 percent um hell yeah man uh so i'm really curious right so like i when i talk to like new trainers and stuff like that not new trainers trainers that i haven't uh engaged with a whole lot one thing that i really like discussing is like like you were saying like we want to constantly be growing in the dog world we want to constantly be learning stuff like that what right now is really exciting you in the dog world? Like, what do you feel like you're looking at? Like, when you look at your training, what are you trying to continue improving? Or what are you really, really like, man, this is, this is real. This is, has me excited right now, you know? So <laughs> another trainer and me kind of coined this, but force free plus tools. That's <laughs> trying just because all the force free people hate us. Hell yeah. But they only use one quadrant of learning theory, yeah. maybe two. Yeah. And, and so, like, I don't know. I, I want to push a understanding of tools, really. That's my biggest thing because I'm not a huge prong collar guy. Mm-hmm. I use prong collars, and I put them on clients' dogs, especially large dogs that, sure. God forbid, they decide to go, you're going. Yeah. So – it's a little power steering for them. But as far as like putting them on every single dog, I to me, I feel like at that point we need to reevaluate our training because if it's not applicable to the owner without that tool and it's not like a dog who's going to drag them to the ground, sure. then there's something that we could probably tweak to that. Because I have a trainer that dogs go home just to be walked on a sidewalk with a prong collar and e-collar. Sure. And I'm like, for me, if your dog is that reactive where you think you need to have that much yeah. power to say no, then you need to go back up in your training, yeah. like a lot of ways. But yeah, that's, that's cool. Um, now when, do you use e-collars? Oh yeah. Oh, you uh, almost. Yeah. Oh, I use this Husky right to my left. She's in for off-lease training. It's, yeah. it's a three program. I use e-collars on every dog I get, but yeah. I use it very differently than most people, I'd say. Sure. Now, like as far as like your general kind of camp of e-collar training, I mean, are you like, you know, I don't like using like trainers to describe it, right? But like, are you more in like the camp of like kind of what Larry Crone does as far as a lot of the pairing it with food and things like that? Or Yeah, that's, I I, I, I take a lot of my stuff from Larry, mm-hmm. um, but it, I mean, they're so, I don't know, because I started with such a pressure on like compulsion trainer 
And I, I've never worked for a force free trainer, sure. but, um, I don't know. They seem to not want to deal with me very much, but that's, it is what it is. What else um, is but what are you going to do? Yeah. But for me, like, I don't know. The, the Larry Cron is probably my biggest one. And then just toying with it. Yeah. Just, just going out there myself with the dog and trying one thing for a couple days and seeing how that works. But it is a bit of pressure and release with the collar. It paired with food, but I always, the thing I don't like with the modern day e-collar use that some people use it. And I don't know, I'm not aware how you guys use sure. it, but for, like e-collars when people use them as nose, yep. I, I, because the problem is, and there's a Bo Harrison talks about this a lot and I love listening to him, but he talks about the e-collar. Like if your dog understands that you're the one being like, nah, no, Mm-hmm. They're going to be like, they're going to have this little thing in the back of their mind. Like, how can I get past that? Cause my cattle dog, I get what you're he's, he's like that, you know? And a lot of people are like, Oh, the dogs blow right through it. They don't really care. And it's like, that's because you're constantly saying you can't, you can't, you can't mm-hmm. with higher level corrections instead of the repetitions mm-hmm. that are needed to understand. Cause I'll sit there and call my dog back. 20 times from a deer sure i don't i'm not going to blow that up and just be like no 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 leave the deer alone and then you're good you Mm -hmm. gotta stay with me but i mean it's very i'd say most of my dogs leave here about at a i mean pretty typical low anywhere from nine to 15 outside Mm -hmm. you know yeah and that's like correction level once they that's their correction level essentially yeah yeah, I mean, I think I, I get what you're saying. You know, I think a lot of that and, and what you're doing is you're putting in the groundwork right through all of those repetitions to reduce the need of being, you know, of needing to give a bigger correction for stuff. Right. You know, it's I, I, I would say my only my only issue that I've had in a lot of cases with some of like the low level, like low, le- like really preaching like low level with e-collar and stuff like that a lot is not that it like there's plenty of dogs that work super low. Like you were saying, like you could definitely get a dog to be responsive to a low level. But in a lot of cases, I've found there's always one moment or two moments in that dog's life where it's like we're working at that 12, we're working at that 15, right? And because we've put in the reps around the deer, right, it works. They understand, hey, that pressure happens. I'm not supposed to do this. Plus, I might get a reward if I go back to him, et cetera, et cetera. But there's always that one moment where they do decide to just blow that off, right? And they have to understand in that moment that that level will increase to something that they're motivated enough by in order to detach from that thing. And us as trainers, like we're, the one thing that like when I talk to a lot of trainers, it's like we're so good at like managing our environment. You know what I mean? Like our dogs, a lot of the reasons why our boarding trains and our personal dogs are so responsive to us is because they truly see, even if we're not, they see us as somebody that controls everything going on in the world around them, right? They see somebody that keeps them safe in those environments and keeps those off-leash dogs away and make sure they're not in harm's way with those types of things, right? So- I- you know, as a trainer, we could avoid so much conflict. You know what I mean? But it's like so many owners, I feel like, 
have such a difficult time doing that. And like, yeah, that's an owner problem. That's something we need to educate them to be better, obviously. Um, I, I just feel like sometimes like they run into a lot more of those scenarios where the dog chooses to blow them off because of that. You know what I mean? And, and right. it's, a, it's a hard balance of navigating like being fair on the dog and saying, well, like let's, let's back off a little bit on just like jacking the level up in that situation. Right. You know, because there's some groundwork that you could do to establish that same kind of leadership and respect that like we have with the dog while also like, understanding they're going to make so many more mistakes than we are. And if they're going to have that control, the dog still does need to care a little bit more about them. You know what I mean? So I'm curious your opinions on that. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think us as trainers, we need to do a better job at bringing it, bringing our dog training to reality. Sure. Like, like all these dog trainers that these big like box store dog training and whatever that take their dogs to Lowe's and they're like, look how good your dog is. And it's like, cool. Anyone who works with animals understands if an animal's in an overstimulating area, they're probably not going to react normally. A hundred percent. And, and so for me, it's like, I don't get why we're bragging so much about like, look at this dog where he's not comfortable in this situation. I want you to see him on his street passing the yeah. arch this he's gone after for the past five years of his life. Yeah. And now we're getting him through that. Yeah. And like that as it, cause like owners see like these dogs out at these stores and they're like, I can't even walk my dog past the neighbor. <laughs> and it's like, it's like, let's start they, with that. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like for me, it's people think that's impressive and yeah. it's not. Like so many sure. people, I and there's a trainer in my town who does this stuff all the time, yeah. who shows their dogs on these crazy cool like uh, field trips. <laughs> so, and like they're doing so great, but then I meet with the owner after, yeah. and they they can't even have they still can't have a guest come over. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> right. And it's like they have a prong collar and e collar, and I just met with a lady who from she came from indianapolis and her dog had been through a force free trainer a balance trainer and never learned how to use an e-collar or a prong collar yeah and they i use transitional leads that's like my go-to leech it's the heather back thing (laughs) yeah absolutely absolutely and and that is a compulsionary tool sure and a lot of people like even in in my town, a place just opened and they're force free trainers, but on the front page, they have a trainer with a transitional leash. <laughs> that, and I'm like, that's a kicker. Yeah. 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 Uh huh. Like, and they're like, oh, we're dog trainers. And I'm like, you literally don't even know what tool you have in your hand. Yeah. <laughs> and you take people's money. And it's so frustrating because, like, owners think that, like, trainers who are like, oh, come to our academy yeah. for like weeks and they'll do puppy play and all this shit that will hurt my relationship with the dog <laughs> and like you'll be so much happier yeah. and it's it's just it's almost a mockery like yeah. they're just like look i can make money and i know absolutely nothing 100 percent. you know and it's so it's so funny like I, I again i i agree with everything you're saying and listen like we're we're totally guilty of the of the posting the field trips thing <laughs> you know like we do a lot of home depot trips and stuff like that and listen i think there's a lot of benefit to taking dogs into different environments and working and right. stuff right that being said to your point about like again 
working in the environments the dog is comfortable in, like that's really where I think a lot of people get it wrong. And that's why you get to board and trains. Like one question I asked Tyler the other day is like, what's your thoughts on board and trains right now, just in general? Because I think so many of them are moving in this direction of the dog is at their facility. They do all the training at the facility. They go to Home Depot, right? They go to the local park, which again, we do all of those things with dogs. And then, and then they have a one hour long send home lesson and maybe like one follow up lesson. You know what I mean? And they never see any, you know what I mean? Like there's no plan for like these things that you're struggling with at home. This is how you work through those things. And one thing he had said is, you know, us as trainers, we need to sometimes get, I forgot exactly how he said it, but he said, we need to get out of our own heads a little bit as far as what we think we need to do with the dogs. And we need to start focusing on what are the things the client actually is struggling with. You know, whether it's, a nail trim and you want to, you know, whatever way you want to solve that problem, obviously, but right. going in and having a solution for that, whether it's, Hey, I can't have guests come over the house. Why are we spending all this time doing sit stays and recalls outside and leash walking at home Depot and stuff when we need to be focusing on proper behavior when the guest comes in the house, whether it's when we're in the kitchen preparing food, our dog is all over the counters and stealing things and there's no impulse control. Like we need to go in and we need to actually start solving those problems. And we need to be mindful as as trainers of, I think so many people that are doing training, they see like the dog is good at the facility. So they're fine, right? Without understanding when all those emotions, when they're in the house come out and are at play, how much that changes their behavior, right? And either makes them more resistant to everything that you taught, less motivated because they're more distracted. Like you really need to understand that generalizing to that environment is going to be so much harder than you think and so much more challenging for the owner unless they feel like they have a plan of, hey, this is how you're going to break that down, you know? And that's, that's kind of why I love doing boarding trains out of my house. Yeah, sure. You see more of that kind of real life stuff. Yeah. And it's just, you see the daily living stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and you don't have to deal with the kennels and sure. the dogs are so stressed out in those environments yeah. and you don't see a lot of the stuff you would see in a perfectly comfortable backyard, sure. under-stimulated dog. You know, yeah. these dogs. If, if like this Husky, for instance, she's basically here for off-leash training, but the thing was they need her to come when called. Mm -hmm. She's fantastic at that, but it's potty training. She's like a year old and yeah. just, she's an Amish dog. So, you know, that's how that goes. But, um, it's just one of those things that, I mean, I'm not, I'm, I am teaching her sitting down, but those aren't correctable offenses those aren't things that i'm focusing on and it's like this dog has to be able to sit in a kennel for eight hours yeah it has to mm -hmm. and for me in a kennel setting it's really hard to set up a, a normal person's nine to five schedule yeah I you know agree. yeah so that's kind of where i've found a lot of value in doing i mean it is a pain in the butt having it in your house, but at the end of the day, for board and trains, I only take one on at a time. Oh, that's but cool. yeah, that's awesome. Is that a, that's something that at my facility? I'm gonna scoot up just because the sun's a little bright. Sure. But at my facility, you know, you could have three, four. I don't know how many you guys do. How many trainers? How many board and trains do you guys do? Uh, we have twelve at any given time, but that's split up amongst oh, that's split up amongst three trainers. Okay. Yeah. So four. Yeah, I'd, I'd probably go crazy doing that. Yeah. But we I'm, also have, you know, so 
in addition to our trainers doing like the formal sessions and stuff with the dogs, like our kennel staff and everything is like walking them and like doing all the uh, general they handling don't have, of them. Like, so it's not, it, there's like multiple people working with all of these dogs. Yeah. There's one person that heads the show and then, you know, obviously others that kind of help maintain everything. Okay. Yeah. To me, I mean, for me, I, and everyone's got their own, sure. their own personal drive, you know, how yeah. much they can do mm-hmm. and how much the brain can handle. And I'd say like two's my max for myself. Sure. But well, in the house I know, too, I mean, you don't realize how much more work that is. So yeah. yeah. And, and for me, it's also something cause I have a little bit of a zoo over here. So <laughs> these dogs are getting to be around chickens, cats, snakes, rats, everything. Yeah. And, and so it's just a, I think it's, overall because so, a lot of these boarding facilities or the tra- like board and train like sometimes they might not even see a squirrel yeah. but like a squirrel is like such a normal thing on their walk and it's it's really hard to just translate that from a board and train when you're not given any extra help afterwards yeah no i'm with you i'm curious so so we um you know, it's funny just to this conversation about like isolating the actual problems and like helping people solve things like in the home and stuff like that. Um, we do, uh, we do a decent amount of like in-home follow-up support with like clients post board and training stuff. And we recently, I would say maybe in the last year, I started doing like a significant amount of like virtual sessions with people and stuff, which I'm sure you do a ton of those. Like I'm, uh, do you know, you know, Sage's way dog training or what's her, what's her TikTok name? Northbound dogs or something like that. Both of the, I've heard, I don't know. There's so many dog trainers out there. So so Sage's Way was like her Instagram name and stuff. And then she's Outbound Dogs on TikTok. Dogs, yeah, I know her. Whatever, she got like 600,000 followers or something like that. We had had her on the podcast recently, right? And she was telling me like through TikTok, like she's like, I could literally go anywhere in the world because it's like, I just have this like mass following of people that will just like, if I go to this city, there's... 20 people that are going to hire me to work with their dog and like this and that. So I'm sure you, whatever, I'm I'm sure you do obviously a ridiculous amount of virtual consults and stuff with people all over the place. But one thing that I've really liked as I started doing more virtual sessions and as I do some of these in-home lessons with people is it forces you to kind of get to the point a little bit faster. You know, sometimes I think, you know, like our shortest one-on-one program that we offer is 10 sessions, right? Like I, we require people commit to 10 weeks with us. Our board and train is four weeks, whatever. When you have that amount of time with a dog, you really can slow the process down, which is good for the sake of getting in the repetitions. And it's good for the sake of, you know, spending time on foundational things and stuff like that. But it's interesting, like in these virtual sessions, we have to just get to the point, you know, it's like you're hiring me right now for this zoom consult. Like I did one just the other day because your dogs are getting into serious fights in the house with each other. Right. So we need to immediately skip all the training stuff, right? Skip all these things. We need to dissect how you're living with these dogs and why that is contributing to them getting in fights with each other and come up with a solution for how you're going to get past that. Right. So I think it's, it, 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 it's forced me to like tap into like this different side of my brain, like my dog trainer brain on how I look at solving problems and what getting back to what excites me in dog training right now. I'm trying to figure out a way to kind of blend the two a little bit and like the time that we put into the training and stuff in the one-on-ones and the boarding train, but the speed in which we're able to solve problems through the virtual classes and like the in-home sessions and stuff that we do when people are hiring us for one-offs, I want to kind of find that balance. You know what I mean? And that's what I've been spending a lot of time with and really enjoy. Yeah, absolutely. I get that. Cause that's, 
I mean, people might not think virtual lessons can help a lot, but oh, they are beneficial. A hundred percent. I mean, it's the age old well, saying of the training is for the owner, not the dog. Right. And it really yeah. does ring true. Like if I can get you to understand this stuff and if I can get you to understand why the thing, because when behavioral issues come, like they don't just like, they're not just there. I mean, sometimes you adopt a dog that has behavioral issues, but usually it's a slow buildup of the way you're living with your dog. That's contributing to these problems. Right. Yeah. And if we can get you to reverse engineer that a little bit and understand where it started, you could at least at the minimum, get rid of the reinforcement behind why those behaviors are happening to make it easier to like extinguish them. Right. And I will say teaching a human to speak dog is a hell of a lot easier <laughs> than teaching a dog to speak human. That's a gr so, I love that. Yeah. Like, and that's, that's the thing like in these one-on-ones and in-persons and, and virtuals, like, we spend a lot more time teaching them what their dog is thinking and how to deal with it in that terms. Not yeah. not in trying to teach your dog freaking English where it's like, come sit and just stay. <laughs> it's yeah. like, that's not dog. That's never going to make sense today. It's not going to make sense tomorrow. It's never going to make sense to them. 100%. It just isn't real. Yeah. So for me, like the speaking, <laughs> just make it simple. Yeah. And and you get a lot more out of it. Like an example I have is my uncle. They had a border collie puppy and it was kenneled. And we were having our family reunion, huge family. There's probably like 50, 60 people there. And this dog was in her kennel. And I was like, why is she in her kennel? And he was like, she will be on that kitchen table. And I was like, then why don't you just tell her not to come in the kitchen? Yeah. And he was, like, what do you mean? And I was like, let the dog age. And I literally pressure released like, maybe three times at yeah. each boundary sure. of the kitchen because the dog would try this one and then that one and that yeah. one. And it was like, he must not want me in there. And then would not come in for the rest of the night. And, and the guy was like mind blown. And yeah. he was like, I've been trying to yell at it and I've been trying to tell it to get out. And I'm like, cause you're, you're speaking human. Yeah. Like use pressure and release. Like even if you don't have a leash, like, Pressure release is like your yeah. simplest form of communication. Now, I want to I stop for a second here. So um, when you say that, just for the people that are listening, right? Like, let's take that exact example you just described, right? Of like you used pressure and release in order to keep the dog out of a kitchen. Can you describe kind of what that looked like and how you did that? Because that's something so many people struggle with. And that could be right. just a bite that helps somebody for sure. Okay. So for me, it's it's all in your body like your body contact like so you can't be afraid to take their space sure. okay now you have to understand how dogs take each other's space it can't it's not a rude thing yep. they're not asses about it but my bulldog will come and sit on my one dog's head <laughs> and just make it comfortable to be there yeah. she's not popping him or whatever yeah. kicking him um, she's just saying, like, I want this spot, and I have more determination than you. Yeah, that's a so, great way of putting it. Yeah. yeah, It's up and moves. Now, for me, it's the same type of thing. So if this dog is coming to the doorway, I'm going to start coming to the doorway, too. So he's, like, coming, and I start coming. He stops, and I stop. Mm -hmm. I don't keep pushing that. But when he comes, we're going to find that middle ground. And I have to make sure that my eyes, my shoulders, my feet, everything are facing the dog. Mm -hmm. Like, because there's 
so much body language that people are missing when they're like, yeah. stop doing that. Mm-hmm. And it's like, your body's looking that way. Yeah. What your dog's not listening to what's coming out of your mouth. They never will. Yeah. I mean, obviously you can teach them, but you know what I mean? <laughs> so, but like, it's that forward body pressure and just standing tall, staring at them and moving them off. But as soon as they do or give just a hair, I mean, even if they take a step back, I'm going to completely turn around and walk away and act like they don't even exist. And they're like, wait, he was just he was just doing this aggressive kind of look. And it's not even aggressive. It's just kind of saying like, hey, I need you to back off Mm because dogs, when they're, you know, feeling a little uncomfortable, whatever they're and going to tell you to back off, they're going to be looking at you and they're going to be like, Hey man, I, I need, yeah. I need some space. And so for me, instead of telling a dog, no claiming it, like saying this kitchen is mine, you're not allowed to come in here. And like I said, you, there's no leash. There's no, you're not pushing the dog. You're not kicking the dog. You're not kneeing the dog. Yeah. There's nothing eye contact and forward walking. Yeah. That's it. Mm-hmm. And it's, Everyone who trains with pressure and release understands that it's not the pressure doing the teaching. It's the release of pressure that's teaching the dog. Yep. It's the so, reinforcement. Yep. Right. And so many people, when, they, when they're asking for personal space, they'll either, one, not be consistent enough so that the, they only do it once. And then they're like, oh, the dog doesn't know it. Yep. And it's like, well, you have to sh- you understand what he's saying because if he's going to walk away – They'll just walk away and two seconds later turn right back and try it again. Yep. And you have to understand the psychology of like, have they committed to walking away or are they trying to manipulate you and act like <laughs> I'm gone and then he's gone and now I'm right back in it. Yeah. And so, yeah, I guess that's kind of a little bit about it. But yeah. Uh, yeah, that makes complete sense. And, and to clarify for everybody, when we talk pressure and release, we're referring to in the scientific terms here, negative reinforcement, right? So basically the removal of pressure to increase the likelihood of a behavior. So when you said, obviously the release of pressure is what does the teaching, not the pressure itself. We mean exactly that, right? So when we take away pressure, it's letting the dog know in that exact moment, that is correct, right? So whether it's that step away or whether it's them getting onto a surface or whatever it may be. And yeah, like people don't realize like how powerful spatial pressure is and getting back to the conversation of tools, right? Like training tools, prong collars, e-collars, whatever, chains, this, that, uh, you know, transitional leashes, right? The tool should always be an extension of what we're already doing, right? So understanding these concepts of whether it's, you know, how we back a dog away on the walk or back them up onto a place bed or get them out of the kitchen or any of those types of things. Yes, there are some dogs that that invasion of space is not going to be quite motivating enough where you could amplify that then with the use of a tool if you need to. But if your timing is good enough, I mean, so many dogs are responsive to that, getting to like the Caesary way of saying it, that calm, assertive energy of claiming space, right? And, and go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. No, you're fine. Good. So like on that, like the, the thing about the pressure and release is like, there's a girl on TikTok named Ranch Rumors and she does a lot of horse training sure. and she horse free horse training and a lot of horse trainers laugh at her, sure. but she rides her horses bareback downtown to freaking Starbucks. <laughs> These cowboys could not do that with yeah. their horses. Yeah. And, and the pressure and release I think is a great short term communicator 
Mm-hmm. And I uh, well, not short term, but like it's a great baseline communicator. Sure. But yeah, everything we want to put on verbal, right? Yeah. And and ideally, there's no amount of pressure or force that's gonna make someone or something listen when they just like are completely over it. So and I don't know because there's there's so many different ways to approach this. Yeah. But it's the I've always wondered why is it that people if if someone doesn't match my intensity with my cattle dog, he shits on them. Mm-hmm. Like literally they couldn't get him to look in there like look their way. Yeah. He's just like finger. Now that dog was very heavily compulsion trained mm-hmm. and and then i see these people's dogs just a random person's dog and there is no change at all in their behavior between yeah. their owner and the dog sitter yeah. they might still be a little wild but there's no they're going out of their way to be more of an asshole yeah and and for me with my dogs like with the ones i've done less compulsion and i've I've more kind of molded their behavior and not said this is the behavior that you have to do. It's molding their own time and using the kennel to kind of like mitigate that free time or whatever. Yeah. Like I have gotten such a better response, even with clients and all that stuff. Cause I mean, it sucks to tell a client, like you're just not correcting hard enough. Yeah, sure. You gotta, you gotta add more. And the owner's like, I don't want to add more. Sure. Like, and, and I get that. Like, I, I'm not like, I understand when there's pressure and when you need to up your Annie. Yeah. But for the most part, animals became domesticated because we made life easy. And the thing is, we're not making them think at all throughout the day. Like even, I think you mentioned it earlier, like, not jumping on the furniture, mm-hmm. not coming up and begging for attention, not dropping toys in our lap, you know, not running to the food bowl saying, Hey, it's, it's food time. Like, you know, and like all that stuff, I feel like if you allow all that crap and then still correct your dog, yeah. your relationship is always going to suck because yeah. you can't try to take control of one aspect of their life and then let them run rampant yeah. in the rest life, you know? 100%. I think there's three interesting points that I thought of as you were saying all that. So the first one you were talking about, obviously, the difference in like your cattle dog versus the other dogs. Um, I I would definitely agree agree from the standpoint of, you know, obviously, if the dog is motivated to do something for something, it's going to typically transfer a little bit more smoothly, right? Um, That said, so like, I, I always look at, I always go back to like puppies, right? Like we work with a decent amount of puppies, I would say, like eight weeks old, 14 weeks old, stuff like that. And the one thing that over the years I think was so interesting is seeing how different these individual puppies can be, right? Just from a temperament standpoint or call it a personality. People always get mad at me when I call it personality. They're like, dogs don't have personalities. They have temperaments. Whatever. Fuck you. Uh, yeah. So whatever. But but like we'll see such different dogs, you know what I mean, come in as puppies, right? Like like you'll see the literally the happy-go-lucky, could care less, just running up to every person, like so happy to greet them and see them and work with them and this and that. And then we'll get like, and again, a lot of it is, is breed specific, right? We'll get some of these puppies and like some of these cattle dogs are like Vinny, my Malinois, right? Like stuff like he's, he's very similar, it sounds like to, to your cattle dog, right? That 
they're kind of just, I don't want to say one person dogs because I don't necessarily believe that fully, right? But they really will like, they take a little bit more of winning them over. You know what I mean? Whether you're doing it in like a positive manner or corrections or this or that, it takes a little bit more to get through to that dog and win over their trust, their respect, some leadership, you know, like any number of those things. And, you know, Vinny like was trained initially pretty much with, I don't want to say a force-free approach, but like the, the sport dog world, at least in the, the discipline that I was doing with it, it was pretty much all motivation. You know what I mean? Yeah. It was very much like the Michael Ellis style of like everything is markers and rewards and get the dog jacked up and this and that. And he's still the dog that if like any Joe Schmo comes over and tries to ask him to do something, it's like middle finger all the way. Like, fuck you, dude. You know? And, you know, it took some time even with like my wife, right? Like to get her to a place where like he respected her and would listen to her and stuff like that. And I don't know how much of that has to do with the compulsion training versus the temperament of the dog. But I do think it's interesting. I ask myself the same question when I see dogs that come in that are two years old and are like really intense, serious resource guarders or, you know, again, dog aggression or any number of those things. And I ask myself the same question of like, if I had this dog at eight weeks old, right, and I did everything the way that I think it really should be done, like obviously with our personal dogs, because we manage our environment so well, we could take our time with so many things, right? We could really train things in the way that we could say it should be trained, right? Like super reward-based, minimize conflict, et cetera, et cetera. You know, if I did that, how much of this could I have avoided, you know? And I, I, I do think that's very interesting, right, as far as a, a conversation of thought. Now am I going to remember my last two points? Do-do-do-do. Uh, I don't know. That was my first one. Okay. <laughs> I'll think of the well, other I, one in a minute. <laughs> I will say uh, the, the there is a, just a short clip it that really changed my mind on on, like, using motivation and using food. Ma- majority, mm-hmm. like... Most of the time, because like I, most of my trainers that my initial mentors, they're all pretty accredited trainers. And Heather Beck is a mate, like she is very accredited. And and a lot of it, I mean, to me, it's kind of like prong collar training too, like collar smart dogs. If your dog can't walk the same on a harness as it does on a slip lead, as it does on a prong collar, then the dog doesn't understand the leash. 100%. and and for me, it, it made me so frustrated because I moved to South Carolina and my grandpa was down there for maybe a week. Mm-hmm. My dog in my relationship has always been on the rocks. Yep. He was a dog I didn't want in the first place. And my mentor, <laughs> you need that dog. Yeah. And I was like, I don't need yeah. that dog. And he was like, whatever. So I got the dog, yeah. of course. And so my grandpa gave him a cheese it one day. Uh-huh. Just one cheese it. Best and friends. I lost my dog. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. I mean, he would follow my grandpa everywhere. I would have problems with him sure. taking from me, wanting to go after the squirrel. And he was like, I'm cool with this guy. Yeah. And and I was like, wow. That kind of opened my eyes because I was like, damn, dude, I've fed and it, it sounds like such an owner point of view, but yeah. they're like, I fed you and I've, you know, yeah. all this stuff. I raised you you since birth. Yeah. Exactly. And it's just one of those things that like the thing that people don't understand is like to get the most out of the dog, you have to play their game. Yeah. Like there is a bit of their game. And like I had a Malinois named Jack come in. Mm -hmm. Mokes. That dog 
the whole the back of the car was like an inch full of just saliva everywhere spent three hours just reacting at every single car on the highway yeah he bit on intake (laughs) and the owner freaked out and this dog was insane Mm -hmm. and it took about a week and a half of playing with him in front of the stimuli and everything flipped it was like a switch flip i have never and i still the only thing i did correct him for was recall once we started doing e-collar yeah but but I didn't put any tools on that dog until he could play in front of the stimulus that he was reactive to. And it got to a point where he was taking his frustration out on the toy, right? Mm -hmm. Which is okay with me. But when I ask you to out, you need to out. Yeah. Yeah. So what I ended up having to do, again, you can use the e-collar, you can use a correction, or you can use the dog psychology to beat them. Mm -hmm. Like, we're smarter than dogs. We should know how to use their psychology against them. And so they want to play. The goal is to get play in motion again. And so I was like, okay, I need to teach them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. So I tried to do it. It wasn't working because he was self-fulfilling himself, just sitting there, just and he could move it just a hair you know i'm i'm not a huge guy so i'm not gonna hold it perfectly like concrete so it's boring and so i had to tie it to a concreted pole and i just literally used the leash and i used that as leverage and when i told the dog to out i put it on the pole it stopped moving and the dog wasn't getting any more self-fulfillment out of it Mm -hmm. as soon as the dog spit it out i went boom took it off and we went right back at it and i only did that twice and then the dog was like Oh, okay. I spit it out, and that's how we get to play again. Yeah. And that dog would grew up in a trailer park with a pit bull in a backyard. Just they just beat each other's ass all day, reacting at everything. And then some horse. She breeds freaking horses in Alabama, Mm -hmm. like million dollar horses. And she's like, I need this dog to be like a ranch dog. I need to take it to rodeos. I need to take it to sale barns and all this stuff. And I was like, this dog's never seen anything. Like, that's kind of not safe. But through play, I literally did not correct that dog one time for behavior. And through play in three weeks, she sent me videos of that dog just laying with the horses, like all this cool shit, taking them to all these rodeos and seeing this. And I'm like, even with that, because emotion, because Malinois are so like highly emotional. Mm-hmm. like and i feel like high drive dogs are just more emotional driven dogs sure. and they have like a tendency to kind of freak out more they're more sensitive to whatever's going on and once this dog like understood to work with me i was mind blown because it did it took it was frustrating as hell take him out three times a day trying to get him to play while he's jumping on the fence like a grizzly bear and i had to use a long line to keep pulling him off and get him to play yeah but it was one of those things where repetition for a week and a half and sometimes you don't have that but i think anytime you're going to shortcut that behavior yeah. there's going to be somewhere down the line that you're going to struggle and that dog's going to bring that back out yeah and that's just that's just kind of what i've seen but from that dog i haven't had much problems and the dogs that i did with Oh boy, I used to use like all choke chains. Like almost every dog was on a choke chain, six yeah. foot leather, like peel, sit, all military. Yeah. And I still have problems with those dogs. Sure. 
Like those owners still have to contact me all the time. And the people we just kind of molded and the dogs that we worked on play, because when I walk into somebody's house, I say, how does this dog play? How does this dog eat? How does this dog drink? And where does this dog sleep? Yeah. Like those four things plus like affection is a big one. But like those four things are my main thing. Cause if your dog, if your dog just has all toys accessible, what are you there for? Yeah. If your dog every time, same day, what are you there for? If your dog can go where he wants, do what he wants, what are you there for? Like, and so if you can get a dog thinking, Oh, this guy provides my fun, my shelter, my safety and fills my food and water stuff. Like there's no reason for them to leave. Yeah. And, and so many people have problems with their dogs running away and they say, my dog's so loyal and my dog loves me. And it's like, no being that loves you is going to run away from you. That does not make sense. Even I mean, because people talk about it and, with corrections and then you see these farm dogs like i know they're not force free trained at all but still they don't have e-collars and they don't have tools but their dogs aren't taken off after the deer and you know all that type of stuff and it's like how do they do that yeah and it's just a relationship that dog understands that they provide for them and they make their life easier yeah yeah no i'm 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 100 with you on all that dude you're you're spitting some uh some good stuff for sure um, to, to one of the points, this is kind of one of the things that I was thinking of, uh, as far as when I was saying the three things, I, I think one thing people have to realize is that there's reinforcement everywhere. You know what I mean? Like every issue you're struggling with your dog is because they really, really want to do something right. Yeah. Uh, or right. really, really, really want to avoid something or whatever it may be. Right. And that happens in nature all the time. And I love your idea of like, if we could, you know, again, in a perfect world, we would teach everybody to start adapting to some of those things and utilizing those reinforcements to their advantage, right? Like why, like, like if I'm so irrelevant around a squirrel or a deer, right? Because the dog is so freaking motivated for that thing, right? Like how do I create that same drive towards something to me, you know? And I think that's something that like, when you get to like the sport dog world, like through like engagement and stuff like that, they focus so heavily on and, yeah, I mean, I remember, you know, Vinny, my mom, like six months old, like was off leash pretty much everywhere, just ignoring shit right. because like we spent so much time playing in fields, so much time doing mm-hmm. engagement sessions with food, like in every freaking store that I was allowed to go into with him, et cetera, et cetera. Right. right? And, and that mixed with, again, the understanding of the second point that I had was you brought up like, you know, if you're still letting the dog do whatever it wants to do in the house and jumping on the furniture and, and stealing food off the counter, and begging for attention, all this kind of stuff, whatever. If we're understanding how we're living with the dog, right, and how those things are contributing to the problems we're having, and if we could find the best of those both worlds, yes, you, you could just reduce so much need for conflict. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and, and I, I think that's so it, cool. It goes, because it goes to the extreme. Like, some of these force free trainers are out of their mind. Like, <laughs> They have, like, this one person on TikTok, they post pictures of their, or videos of their house, and they've got fucking stuffing, ripped up toys, fucking everywhere, and they're like, it's enrichment, and their dogs crawling all over them, and they try to make it, they try to normalize it for dog owners, but then their dogs, this one I'm talking about, they can't even take their dog in public without a muzzle. They go to a church in the middle of the night to exercise their dog yeah and 
this is why you have problems because you're not focusing on this other stuff and you're trying to be like, oh, but they can disrespect me and they can do whatever they want to me. And I have no say. And it's like, you can't say that because your dogs are bad and that's what owners can't have. And that's exactly what they're dealing with. Yeah, dude, I'm, I'm so with you. I, I completely agree. Um, all right. I have one, one last question here. Another one that I like to ask people is like, is there any particular dogs you could think of like outside of your own that really stand out as like, I learned so much from this particular dog, right? Like whether it's one that really gave you a hard time or was just like one of the most rewarding transformations or anything like that. Yeah. Um, I've got one in particular that was very interesting. It was a, it was two dogs. Um, one was an adult, one was puppy. So the original dog was a Rhodesian Ridgeback Dit mix and his parents were coyote dogs in Ohio, mm-hmm. you know? And so this couple had him, he was a real nervous wreck, whatever. They went and adopt or purchase a dogo Argentina, a male at that. So now they have two unneutered males nice. under their house. The dogs were great until about a year and a half, right? Typical story. It's like, as soon as the younger one matures, it's on like Donkey Kong. So they start trying to kill each other. We work and I brought in the Ridgeback first. Mm-hmm. I'm When I'm telling you, I tried everything. I kept that dog for an extra four weeks yep. because the fucking <laughs> dog didn't get anything. Like nothing. Yeah. Like I, I tried 100% force free. I tried pressure release. I, I tried every collar. I tried everything. And this dog was just so mute. Just like he would sit there and just stare off. Yeah. And I'd say, sit. And he'd just look at me and start barking. Yeah. Like barking. It was the creepiest thing in the world. <laughs> but I had a dog for, I kept him for an extra four weeks. I did not charge. I was yeah. like, gonna get to the bottom of this i don't know what's up with it so the owners at the end were like you know what how about we have a meeting with him and i was like you know what you just take him home because at this point i have nothing left and they came picked him up the dog did every single thing they asked he played (laughs) he did all of his obedience he didn't i mean nothing not one bad thing happened and i was like he has never done this for me in two. <laughs> so why did I spend that much time trying to force it? Yeah. When like this dog had matured and has never had another relationship with a person. Yeah. Ever except his owners. And for me, that's like now I am so I'm so now for my boarding trains, I meet the owners throughout the boarding train. Yeah. I do lessons during the board and train and then I do follow-up lessons. Mm-hmm. So the owner doesn't kind of like you were saying, they have like an hour to kind of take in all that information. It just yeah. gets lost in training. But so that for me, that dog just really taught me to bring the owners into it a lot sooner, especially yeah. if I'm choose because it does not matter my skill. Yeah. If, if I can't build a relationship with that dog, it's not going to happen. Yeah. The training never get there. Mm-hmm. And, and him and an older, I probably had an eight year old female chocolate lab that had been a farm dog. She was a breeding dog. She was, I'm, she was a beautiful lab. She's everything was great about her. She just was 
just a farm dog. She had no manners, whatever, sweet dog. But I found myself using pressure, like not, not a lot of e-collar pressure, but e-collar pressure Mm -hmm. and leash pressure to get her to do a down. And she finally did it. And I looked at my assistant and I said, what the fuck was the purpose of that? Yeah. It's like, why do I need to do that? You know, getting yeah. back to your, our boy, Gary, right? Like he used to talk so much about like, and, and Brandon, obvious. Are, are you, I'm assuming, you know, Brandon Fouché also. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Yeah. You know, they always talk about, right. Dogs already know how to sit and down. They just do it for their own reasons. Like I, they hear exactly. him say that all the time. Right. Dude, it's so accurate. Um, it, it's funny you say that about the down. The down is the one thing, especially if you don't have a very food motivated dog, that could be one of the most conflicting things you need to do to teach. Right. I mean, some of these dogs will resist absolutely any amount of pressure to get into that down. And it's, right. we've actually, with our one-on-ones, if the dog gives us that much resistance with it, we don't even bother. Like we just teach a really good sit stay with the expectation the dog's going to lay down eventually if I do a 20 minute sit stay. And that's fine. Right. You know, like it, it kills me, dude. I had somebody sign up for a board and train or not. Or they were getting ready to sign up for a board and train. She asked, she's like, oh, I have a concern. Like I see that your sit stays you teach, you don't care if the dog lays down in it. I was like, well, yeah, I mean, the point of the stationary position is to keep the dog in one spot. So, like, if they further stabilize, like, why would I want to discourage that? You know, and she's like, oh, yeah, that's that's not going to work for me. Like, I, you know, I just really care that the dog has a good understanding of sit. I was like, I've never in my life run into an issue with my dogs that, like, <laughs> I've needed them to hold a sit stay versus a down where it's been any sort of problem on the face of the planet. And yet this dog is struggling with really serious reactivity issues and really serious, you know, dog aggression issues and stuff like that. And it's like, we're so, we're caring so much about something so stupid, like holding a sit stay. Right. Oh my. Isn't it ridiculous? You know? Yeah. And, and when you hit that, when you, when like you hit that bus and you're like, damn, that is, I mean, it's just unnecessary. The owners don't, it's it's just it just hurting your relationship with that dog to teach it more shit in the future. Yeah, hundred percent. So, yeah. Well, listen, man, I I really appreciate you coming on. I think this was an awesome conversation. You know, one thing I'm trying to do with this podcast is, um, I, you know, obviously in the dog training world, there's so much conflict already. There's so much like you're doing things wrong. I don't like what you're doing. This, you know what I mean? Like it's so right. conflicted. It's so polarized from all sorts of camps. Like, I just think that it's okay for us to have, like, I don't have to agree with everything you do. You don't have to agree with everything I do, but being able to have these conversations and being able to look at like, like so much, like pretty much everything you said, I was like a hundred percent. You know what I mean? Like, I agree with that. Right. And I think if we could learn to like understand each other a little bit better and understand anything we're doing, even if it seems, even if you think I'm the most barbaric person in the world, because I made a dog have their nail trimmed or whatever, right? There's a reason behind all of it. You know what I mean? It's not like we're just like all willy nilly doing things. And it's not like, you know, if you're a force free trainer and you're trying to avoid, you know, giving a correction and you're working through reactivity a different way that I think you're doing anything wrong. You know, like everybody has their reason for doing the things that they're doing. Right. And I think if we learn to understand that and we learn to be okay with, there's so many different styles of training and there's so many different styles of owner out there that are going to align with any number of these different training methods Right, like we ha- we have to be okay with that, and it starts with these conversations. I think you know, absolutely. I mean, and just as a little 
conflict to add. I mean, a lot of owners these days really shouldn't own dogs. <laughs> We're going to be honest with each other. Like, yeah. even Husky, they have two Huskies. They both work till 6 p.m. and they yeah. come home and sit on the couch. And I was like, I don't know yeah. what you expect dogs to do except destroy your home 100% I'm, I'm gonna add one caveat to that I think that so many people need to start looking at what kind of dog they should have yeah you know what right. I mean like I don't I, I've never in my life looked at someone and been like you, you know unless this person is like a horrible animal abuser or something like that like you shouldn't have dogs but so many people are selecting dogs that are just not good fits for their lifestyle yeah. you know and then we're fighting like mother nature because this dog is designed to do a b c or d you know what I mean and they just, it, it's its not going to work. You know what I mean? That person that works 12 hours a day or is a nurse and is gone for, you know, or a firefighter is gone for three 24-hour shifts in a row, like, shouldn't probably have that Malinois that's going to need to sit in a crate for 48 hours. You know what I mean? Like, so I'm, I'm totally with you on that. And that's the one thing I think there's a lot of people out there that speak a lot on this breed's energy is just not a good fit for you. You know what I mean? And I think, you know, we could live such better, more fulfilled lives with our dogs if we keep that in mind as we look at selecting our next dog, you know? Don't choose for color. Choose for personality, please. That's right. Yeah. Um, well, listen, man, uh, why don't you go ahead and just tell everybody where they could find you and do all the, you know, the typical end of podcast things here. Okay. Um, so you can find me at whosyourk9.com. That's my website. If you want to reach out for some virtual lessons, you can hit me up on Instagram at whosyourk9, or you can shoot me an email through my email or through my website. But besides that, TikTok is a pain in the butt to get a hold of anybody. Yeah. But if you want to make a video and post it and tag me in it, I'd love to comment on it. Otherwise, reach out for virtual lessons on whosyourk9.com or Instagram. Hell yeah, man. I really appreciate it again. We'll definitely have to chat again soon because that, I mean, that hour and a half flew by there. So, yeah, it did. It did. And I got to walk some dogs. So, but I appreciate you very much for having me on. Yeah, dude. All right. Take care. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Talk to you later.